When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space where men share their fatherhood journey. These conversations are transparent and, more importantly, vulnerable. Now, because each fatherhood story is situationally nuanced, some topics are heavier than others. The commonality found amongst all the guests is a genuine desire to help and inspire other men through telling their story. And now, here's your host, Derek Johns. Derek Johns. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space where men tell vulnerable stories about the fatherhood journey. Sometimes those stories are a little bit heavy. Sometimes they're light. It changes from guest to guest. I never know until we start the show. I am excited about this show. I have been thinking about bringing this guest on for a while. This guest um, was open to it. And here we are. Please help me welcome to the show my in-house guest, Mr. Anvilon Elliott. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast, my brother. How are you? I'm great, my guy. How about you? Man, I'm I'm super fantastic, man. I, I like I like the energy you bring in the room. Your smile is hey. up. I think this is gonna be a good one, man. Let's get into it, man, because we don't like to keep the guests waiting too long. Who is Anvilon LA? Let's start with your earliest childhood memories. Tell the folks where you're from and kind of orient the people to who you are from a very early place. Man, very early place, man. I started my journey in Northeast Louisiana, Monroe, Louisiana, to be exact. Um, okay. Come from a two-parent household. My my father was more of a laborer, uh, installing garage doors and things of that matter. So I got a very strong work ethic from my father because that's all I ever seen him gotcha. do. My mom, on the other hand, she was more of a outside of the bo- uh, outside of the box type person. Okay. Uh, everything was about making it work. Whatever we could do to get us a few steps ahead whatever we can do to just make it all mesh. So gotcha. I've seen dad works, but I've seen mom go 10 times harder than anything. And uh, that that was really my upbringing, man, watching them and critiquing everything that they do yeah. to make sure that I was better because of it. So what, so Monroe, Louisiana, we're, we're in uh, the Oriented people, we're, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area recording this. Monroe, is, is that far from here? Uh, it's about four and a half, five hours away from here, man. Um, okay. Uh, it there used to be a retirement town okay. centered around the college that was there. It is now ULM. It used to be NLU back in the day. Okay. Northeast Louisiana University. Okay. The, the Indians used to be before, you know, having to change it to be politically correct. Gotcha. Uh, about 30 minutes outside of Gremlin. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I recognize Gremlin. So what was life, what was life like, man? What was, is it, 
is it as rural as I think it is in my mind or is it really more like a, a, a true city? Well, you know what, man? I didn't know that it was that rural until I got out of it. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> man, right. coming coming up, coming up, I lived in the hood, but I didn't know that it was the hood. Gotcha. If that made sense. Absolutely. My parents, they they did what they could to make sure that I didn't know that we were poor. Yeah. And just the way that we the way that they put it together, they they hit it very, very, very well. Yeah. The dangers and things that we were really in and never never even knew about it man so ain't no cows going up the street ain't no horses yeah no no none of that man it was true southern living coming up that's interesting because my dad used to always say that he didn't know he was poor right mm -hmm. because i guess the the way he lived reflected his environment so it wasn't out of the norm but looking back on it he was like man we was we were really poor so it's interesting that you don't know it when you're in it especially when you have good parents that are uh, kind of creating a lifestyle for you that that doesn't point out that you're poor. Yeah. How long did you spend in uh, in Monroe? Uh, I was in Monroe, Louisiana, from the from the time of birth. Uh, we had a short stint away when I turned about 13. We moved to Long Beach, California. Wow. Yeah, I, mean, I had a grandmother that lived out there. We went out there for her with her for a while. Yeah. She had a few health issues, so we went okay. out there to take care of her. But then we ultimately moved back to Monroe, Louisiana, before moving to Mansfield, Texas. What was that change like? Because I imagine it's a it's a culture shock going to going to Long Beach from Monroe. It was dramatic. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> dramatic. Talk about man. It. it was it was my first encounter with um it was my first encounter with self. Because there was a familiar familiarity yeah. in Monroe. Yeah. Everything was familiar. Everyone knew me. You know, that the plates was already set yeah. for how things were gonna go that way. When I left and I went to Long Beach, no one knew me. It was the first opportunity to be whoever I wanted to be, however I wanted to be, and no one was able to dictate who I was. No one knew my sister. No one knew my brothers. No one knew my parents. It was just me. So, so it was. So it was only you of your siblings that went there. It was only me of my siblings that were in school. Gotcha. Their siblings a, are older. Yeah, they're they're older gotcha. than me. I'm the last of four children. Last of four. How does that feel, man? Because I'm I'm the youngest of. It was just me and my sister. And we were we were five years apart and we never really we were never really at odds. But I didn't realize how much I appreciated my sister until she went away to college. And when she came back, we we got closer. What was the relationship like with you and your siblings growing up? I would say majority of the times I wasn't with my siblings. Gotcha. I was mama's boy, man. You couldn't separate me from mama. Like, like, nah, that was it. Okay. I stayed, as a matter of fact, I stayed in the house with my mom till I was about 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. I would go outside and I would do my work or I had a lawn service, so I'd go cut some grass or something like that. But for the most part, you didn't have to worry about me out in the world. I was wherever mama was at. Yeah. Mama's boy. That's where I was at. I guess I'm a mama's boy too. I don't, I don't, I'm not ashamed of it, but I, I, I really... I was a mama's boy more so because being around my dad meant work, mm -hmm. right? There was going to be some kind of labor attached to it. I often associated my mom with being more likely to say yes if I was asked for something. So I was, I don't know if I was necessarily up under my mom, but I always go to my mom first because my dad was real, real stern. You, 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 you mentioned something. I don't want to fly by it because it's, it's, um, I might be intuitive and I might be jumping ahead, but you had a lawn service. Yeah. Was it was it was it a 
was it something that you created or was it something that forced upon you? And the reason I asked that is because my dad used to come home and tell me, hey, you got this layer to cut. But I didn't have the foresight to realize that this could really be a thriving business and I could make some money. So I just did it begrudgingly. But you, what was what was your take on the lawn service? How did, how did you get started? We ain't had no grass, man. Yeah, we, in our, we had dirt. Really? Dirt in the front yard, dirt, dirt with leaves, man. My dad, my dad used to work us in order to try to show us what work ethic was. Yeah. I used to have to rake the dirt, man. Like literally, he wanted like certain lines <laughs> in the dirt like, lines. oh yeah, man, like like you get your trash bags, you go out there, you rake, the, you get the leaves up, trash, everything. Yeah. He wants that thing spotless by the time it's time to go. But I always had a want and a desire for more. Gotcha. So therefore, okay, I see you got this lime over here. I put this thing, I hook hook the hook the handle of it to the back of my bike and I'm gone. Yeah. I went from one yard to the next yard to the next yard to the next yard to where it got too much for me to handle by myself. And I brought my friends in and I started to pay them per yard. Hey man, I pay you five dollars per yard to come help me with this thing. All I need you to do is weed it. Okay, cool. And eventually just went on went on from there, man. That is literally what my father, that's the model he was painting for me. But I had this thing that was really immature for a, a, a long, a large part of my life is because I didn't see him do it. I didn't think he had the, not the authority, but the, um, the authority in the sense of knowing how to create business, right? Mm -hmm. He's telling me to create a business that I didn't see him do, didn't see him model. So I didn't want to take his advice, gotcha. which was very, it went to on my part, but what did the, and I don't want to call it a hustle because I, I got a very specific feeling about what hustling is. Um, what did that business sense, that business acumen come from with you? I had a lot of, a lot of male, in, a lot of male role models in my life. Okay. Um, my uncle Corey, Corey Lowings, uh, military guy, uh -huh. been driving trucks longer than I've been alive. Every weekend I had some job to do. Gotcha. And majority of my jobs was just holding stuff for him. Uh, my uncle James Klein saw him start businesses, uh, run his businesses while working a full time job, while taking care of the family, still making time for his nephew that's not even his by blood. Wow. My uncle John James, I watched him. He was a police officer. He he would go do that. He would still come back and fix things around the house, still make time for his nephew, which wasn't his blood. Right. You see what I mean? I had all of these individuals. My, and my grandfather, man, my grandfather was the ultimate businessman in every way. I didn't have a, when I was younger, I didn't have a a consistent relationship with him. But I was able gotcha. to watch from afar. He owned his own car lot. He owned his own furniture store. He had all these things to me that was like, oh, man, that's it. Yeah. That's it. And even more than that being it, I look like him. My mannerisms yeah. are like him. I remember being a kid and my mom would look at my hands and say, man, you got hands just like my dad. So this is your mom's father. This is my mom's okay. father, Robert, Robert Lewis Elliott. Um, gotcha. And as time went on, you know, I, and we'll get back to it later on down the line. Once we moved to, to Dallas, once we moved to Dallas, man, I was in a community college years later and stopped by a store randomly on my way to college one day. And it ended up being my grandfather's furniture store. Wow. Was he, and he was still living? He was still living. Wow. And we were bumping it in from that day forward every day on my way to school. Cause I went to that, I went there Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I would stop. We would eat. He would educate me on some form of business. Ask me how my week was. Yeah. And we'd push on. 
So I got I, I got to interject because selfishly, anytime a guest mentions a grandfather, I get envious because I never had one. What 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 does your grand what did that relationship with your grandfather mean to you, and how did it develop you differently than a relationship with your father would or did? Uh, it was a catch twenty two to it. Hmm. Um, I got a lot of useful things from my grandfather. But it was very hard to accept some of the things because I had already heard of all of the horror stories mm. of his past. You know, um, oh, he was no good. He did this. He was no good. He did that. Yeah. Well, this ain't the person that I'm getting to know right now. Um, and to the point to where I asked him one day, um, called him Big Dad. Big Dad, what's up with all these stuff I'm hearing, man? And you know, he flat out told him, I did it. He's like, I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of wrongs in life but I have an opportunity to correct it with you. The parallels are pretty wild because I, though I didn't have a grandfather, I asked my dad in the conversation that I had with him on this podcast, decades overdue, but we had to sit down, come to Jesus, talk about how we felt about each other in our relationship. And I asked him, why did he treat my kids differently than he treated me? And that was the same thing. He said, sometimes in life, when you recognize that you've, didn't get it right the first go round. You try to find a way to make it up in the next go round. And I guess that's the grandkids to him. But it like it's a, it amazes me the difference between what's acceptable <laughs> for my grandkids and my grand and my parents and what they accepted for me when I was growing up. Most definitely. Um I would actually and not not meaning to cut you off or anything. This is almost like a conversation that I just had with my father. Really? I had never heard my father tell me that he loved me until I was 23 years old. And the oriented people, you're third, you're 30. I'm 30 now. Gotcha. Um, I just, we had just welcomed my son into this world. Mm. My dad was holding my son and he was telling my son, Oh man, I love you. I love, I love you. He's my, my grand boy. And, and he handed him over to me and he's like, all right, I love you. I'll see you later. Beg your pardon? I got a phone with my sister immediately. I said, yo, hey, what's wrong with your daddy, man? Yeah. Notice, notice, and they said, what's wrong with your daddy, yeah, man? Yeah, yeah. Something, something oh, wrong. Man. Is he sick or dying or something? She said, why you say that? I said, he just told me he loved me. She said, huh? I said, yeah. Some, some, something, something is up. The relationship was finally starting to take a turn. Gotcha. Because early on, early on in my life, I'm different from my siblings in every way. My brothers, one liked to play basketball, one liked to play football. Yeah. I like music. I wanted to be in the band. Gotcha. One liked Jordans, one liked Air Max. I want some Doc Martens or some Eastlands. Right. They want they want these jerseys. I'd rather cardigans and sweaters. Yeah. My father didn't know how to love me because I was different. Wow. So how, yeah. let's pull that thread. How, how early did you recognize that that was the case? And when did you, so recognize it and then when did it impact you? Cause they may be two different time frames, right? You realize it's, you're not being treated the same, but you may feel it later, right? Have a greater impact. What, what was, when did you recognize that you were being treated differently? And if it wasn't at the same time, when did it start to really impact you? I'd probably say probably about, Probably about between the ages of eight and ten is okay. when I really noticed that there was different treatments going on out there, 
And um, a lot of that came from the fact that when my mom and my dad would have disagreements, mm. my father would take my older brothers and leave. I'd be there with mom, caring for us. Wait, 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 wait. So, what? Like, why? Do you do? Do you understand now why that was the case? Like why he would take them? Was it just that connection thing? He didn't feel like he was connected to you, well, or we had a recent we had a recent conversation about this. And Do tell. Yeah, I mean, I asked him. I, I mean, let's have a sit down. I had a disagreement with my wife. I didn't understand. I resent. I, I had resentment for my father for so long. Yeah. Because of the disagreements that he used to have with my mom, and it wasn't until I had a disagreement similar with my wife, and my father sat me down and had a conversation with me about it that it opened up that box to where we can have conversations about things so that you can understand the hurt that I've been holding on to for 22, 23 years. Hey man, why, why'd you love me different from the way that you love them? Why'd you treat me different from the way that you treat them? Why did they get, always get a chance to go with you and I had to be left behind? And he told me, he said, you were different. That, that was the, that was just the, his oh, response no. that Oh you no, were that, that was just the beginning. Oh. You, you were different. Different in what way? What do you What do you mean? What do you mean? Your brothers can handle the street. You can't. They've been educated about what the streets look like. You You have been in the books. It's a totally different lifestyle that I wanted for you than what I wanted for them. So was that his way of suggesting that that he treated you that way for your good because he wanted to save you from the streets? He wanted to preserve your your innocence to a degree, or do you think that was just more of a, just an excuse? Nah, um, my dad's not an excuse type of guy. Okay. Um, he grew up, his upbringing, his upbringing came with a certain, with certain guidelines that you don't cross. Gotcha. My dad, to, to give you an example, I can't and I won't were the same thing in his upbringing. Hmm. No weakness, no emotion, gotcha. no any of that. So no excuses, no nothing. Either you're going to or you're not going to. And not and you're not doing it is not an option. You're going to get it done. Yeah. That's what his upbringing was like. So he mirrored some of that same thing over and over and over and over again. And I think, I think that later on down the line, he understood the mistakes that he made with my older siblings. Mm. And he was like, hey, man. I honestly didn't know how to love you. So this was it for me. Wow. I didn't know how to explain these things to you. I didn't know how to have those conversations with you because I knew I only knew how to be reactive. Gotcha. In any situations, I didn't know how to sit you down and say, hey, man, you're learning things in school that I don't know. You're wanting to have conversations about things. I really don't know. I have no interest in, I've never had any interest in. Wow. That's it. You want to learn how to build something? I can teach you. You want to learn about animal care, which you know my love for dogs? Right. I can teach you. You want to learn how to protect yourself? I can teach you. But researching these books, building a guideline, writing, writing a, a, a full song out, with yeah. symphony and everything else, I I don't know that. So what did what did that explanation do for you? Because just listening to you, 
I get it. Mm-hmm. It's not that it was right, but the fact that he was being that open and honest about it at this stage in your life, either he didn't have the tools to deal with you and he poured into the other siblings where he was more comfortable. Um, but he's, but it doesn't sound like he's making any excuses about mm-hmm. it. And that's what you were saying. Your father would. So how did, how much of the trauma, if that's the appropriate word to use, did you, did you communicate to him during this conversation? Like does he, does he really understand what it did or how it impacted you? He got it all. When I say it all, I mean, I opened up everything that I've ever wanted to say. Uh, between the ages of, I want to say, 8 and 18, me and my father didn't have the best relationship. Gotcha. I had a lot of resentment with him because of his relationship with my mom. Gotcha. Because of how their disagreements went. Because of me feeling like you were choosing them over me. Yeah. And, and it re- really wasn't a competition. But I had to educate him on what a distorted self-image looked like. Hey, man, I walked around here with a distorted self-image. I didn't get to know me until I was 30. Wow. Because of a lot of things that I felt in resentment that I had for you. Right. I was always searching for your acceptance. Yeah. For your approval. Waiting for that attaboy for you, from you. My dad and I connected on a few things. Animals, building stuff, women. That that within itself, that last one, women. Yeah. Man, it, hey, Pops, man, I came home, man. Hey, man, I did this, I did that. Really? Why? why tell me more. Yeah. Uh, I, know how, I know how to get that attaboy from you. Mm. To where I unconsciously began to, the thrill of the new kill, they would call it. Yeah. I'm out here doing this because I know that this is my way to connect with you. Gotcha. And unconsciously not realizing individuals that I'm hurting. My distorted self-image. I'm not even being me. I've always been a lover boy. I'm not being me at this point in time. Yeah. I'm trying my best to be a reflection of whoever's going to be around me to give me that. boy, there you go. Yeah. I like what you're doing. Let me accept you. Let me take you. Rather than walking in my. What I realize later, much later in life than I wish that I had, um, was that. For whatever reason, in our community, and I say our community, the black community, because that's the community I'm familiar with. I'm just happy to be black, so that's my experience. We celebrate trauma commonalities. Mm-hmm. I got shot. Oh, I got shot too, man. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Now we got this thing in common that we're bonded over. And I see it with fathers and sons, even, you know, like, I, I didn't have a terribly dramatic or traumatic story with my father, but there were things that I could have used the conversation on earlier in life. Mm-hmm. And then when we had them later in life if, and I found out that we had that in common, I'm like, man, I could have, I'd rather not bond with you over this. I would have rather have avoided this part, like these lessons going out there and get them. D- do you feel any resentment still for what you had to go learn because those conversations weren't either normal or natural and frequent as you were growing up? I wouldn't say that. I had a safe space. Okay. I had a safe space created for me. Man, uh, my aunt, 
Deneen Klein. That's like that's like my second mother. I have a mom. Gotcha. But she literally stepped in in every way and created safe space for me. Every way around the board, mm. what no matter what it was, she was my open door to talk to. Gotcha. If I just want to go somewhere where I have to not worry about the worries of the world, yeah. she's going to create that for me. She overextended and bent over backwards, even when it was at the expense of herself. Yeah. To make sure I'm okay. Yeah. In in every way. I can remember a time where I sat back and I'm like, man, this woman gives so much. She gives so when did she ever have enough for herself? Yeah. And this in like being a hundred percent transparent here, I remember doing certain things, certain things, looking at her as though she's the enemy. She's paying for things that she never even did. Right. And all she did was create this safe space for me. So I ended up as well off as I did because of what she what she allowed me to have. Right. She allowed me to be myself. I could be my I could walk in my truth no matter what the situation was. There's no judgment from her. There's no no question. You don't have to share more than you want to share. Gotcha. But she had this she had this one thing. Be you. Gotcha. No matter what. Walk in your truth. Head up. Yeah. Face to face. Face you. The scariest person in life to deal with every day is you. I agree. I know how you walk. I know how you talk. I know what you're going to do before you're going to do it. I know the deepest, darkest secrets. I know how your mind works. If I can wake up and I can face me every day and walk in my truth every day, that's not a person walking around this world that can put fear in my heart or in my mind. That's dope. That's a very dope perspective and a very mature perspective, even at 30. Um, I want to take a break right quick to hear from a sponsor. We're going to pick right back up because I'm, I want to dig into how you arrived at that level of, of, of emotional intelligence at such a young age. So we're going to hear from a sponsor and we'll be right back. What's good, fam? I know you're enjoying the episode, but I am excited to share with you today a brand new sponsor to the DSP family. Tate Wellum, T-A-T-E-W-H-A-L-U-N, Tate Wellum. High fashion accessories, watches. I mean, the timepieces are exquisite if i do say so myself i prefer the executive collection there are several to choose from what i need you to do is head over to their website t-a-t-e-w-h-a-l-u-n.com when you get to check out after you fill your basket with all the things that i know you're going to find there use the code the dsp t-h-e-d-s-p for 20 percent off they'll know that i sent you tate Wellen. Black owned, responsibly managed, new sponsor to the podcast. I look forward to the continuing partnership. God bless. Back to the show. All right, we back. So we want to pick back up where where we left off about how I view your emotional intelligence at a young age. And Aunt Deneen, I don't wanna I don't wanna gloss over that by any stretch because it seems like that's a common thing where women consistently picking up the slack when um either a relationship between the son and his father is absent, unavailable, uh, or, or otherwise, but let, let, let's, let's pull a thread a little bit about, um, why you were so comfortable with your aunt Deneen and, and are there other women that contributed to that creation of the safe space that allowed you to feel your feelings, get your thoughts out and articulate it in a way that was 
more helpful than hurtful. Oh, man. Really, really. Every woman that has ever came into my life contributed in some type of way. My grand, my grandmother was a strong woman. Mm. She, the head of our family, uh, she she received a lot of abuse from my grandfather. Wow. The, the guy that I'm telling you, I knew I knew uh, to do no wrong. Gotcha. And, uh, like, he... He took my, he took my grandmother through some things, but to see the way that she bounced back and the way she direct her family mm. and things of that matter, her, my aunt Monique, Monique Lewings, um, man, my, my educator, mm. I had a really tough time with education at first. Okay. And you wouldn't know it now. Yeah. Because my intellect level is so, it's so key. It's, all it's so tuned. Like I, I process things faster than most individuals would. Yeah. And it's only because of her. Because gotcha. I always think, man, I, I can't learn this. And she stopped me. She said, no, baby. They don't know how to teach you mm. how your mind works. So now I don't focus so much on the on the problem. I focus on pr uh, preparing my mind gotcha. for the problem so that I forever know how to do it. Not just this one time, but every time coming after. Some tools of of, of life that she taught me mm. to go, th go throughout. But the reason that Deneen singled so much out she nurtured who i was mm. in that safe space for me so so much so much that even when i was lying about who i was she kind of sat back and allowed me to have those moments and she hold, knew hold, hold tight hold tight even when you were lying about who you were to who oh to the world mm. i just wanted to be accepted Gotcha. I wanted to be accepted. That was one of those things where I wanted the acceptance from my father, but I wasn't getting it. So I, when I would get it elsewhere, it was almost like a drug. Gotcha. I'm chasing that high. I'm chasing that high. I'm chasing that high. Until one day she finally sat me back, sat me down and told me, hey, man, listen, I've nurtured your feelings for so long and allowed you to live in this. Mm -hmm. I can't harm you in that way anymore. Wow. I need you to walk in your truth. No matter what it is, walk in your truth and be you. You're going to lose some people. you lose some people. Yeah. But there's no greater person to have in your corner than you. What age, what age is this? Because, again, I mean, there's a, there's a level of emotional intelligence that's evident, at least in the way that you're recapping the story. What, what age is this where, where, where you had that conversation where you became more responsible for living in your truth she had this conversation with me at age 27 oh age 27 okay so now now, now okay got it i was yeah. about to say that's 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 heavy for a teen even early 20s like people don't get that mm -hmm. people don't get that sometimes in their whole life she loved me enough yeah she loved me enough to not allow me to destroy myself. So at 27, you, were you were, did you already have a family at this point? Mm-hmm. I got married at the age of 23, man. Got it. That's okay. So I got married at 25. How, how did this living in this other view of yourself, this untrue self impact your family? you being the head of a family early on um, it created a lot of instability okay a lot of a lot of instability my children didn't know my wife was the one who suffered for it mm. another black woman 
man, listen, mm. what the black woman? Mm. <laughs> when I say the black woman, I'm talking about. I love this woman so much. Yeah. Not only because of who she is, but when I say endurance. Yeah. Standing beside me. When you're dealing with a person with a, with a distorted self-image. Yeah. You don't know who they're going to be today. You don't know. You don't know what repercussions are coming from the actions of them being somebody different every day. When you don't know. You don't know how they're going to react from what you say to them. Yeah. Each and every day. And still keep your cool and still manage to be who you are and still manage to deal with your own issues on top of that. Yeah. Still be a mother to not one child, but, but to two children. Yeah. To still uh, operate the many businesses that we own. To still make the woman. Yeah. The the woman. Um, I, I remember was, when, <laughs> this was year 29. And a woman seen me out. She said, "Man, you so handsome and you smell good and you, you know, you so successful." And I said, "My wife, huh? My wife. I look like this, and I seem like this, smell like this. I'm, I'm able to be this because she's that. Yeah, because she, she does what she does. Yeah, you got to know where your blessings come from, man. Out there, understand, acknowledge your blessings. You got a good one." Definitely a blessing. Make sure you acknowledge that. But you were, what were some of the ways that it played out earlier um, in your marriage and your family that, that you look back on and say, man, and I don't, I don't want to say what if I was different earlier because I believe that the path that you were on yielded who you are today. And I think that you're very proud of the person that you are today. So I wouldn't want to alter that through some different actions, but Early on in your marriage, when you're struggling with identity, like what, what were some of the, the challenges that that led to? Man, uh, you can only go for so long and not show who you truly are. Yeah. Uh, the guy that I was when I first met my wife, um, I told her all the traumas and things that I had been through mm. and where I felt and where I was in life. But there were still some things that I just couldn't throw out there and allow her to have. Yeah. And the pressure that those things put on me. I can communicate with her properly. Mm. I'm trying to harbor these things. I can't, I can't completely, I can't completely be open to her with some of her issues because they're some of my issues that I'm holding secret and captive. Right. And now I'm very critical with you on your issues because I can't face my own. Yeah. Um, it's going to expose the lie that I've told myself that I am. Rather than that, um, you know, like certain things that I was truly a victim of. Right. I've stuffed and masked so much to try to make myself not seem like a victim. Yeah. My wife's a victim of the same things. And I can't see you as a victim because I've told myself that mm -hmm. I'm not a victim. And casting those things and keeping keeping all those secrets balled up in the inside. Yeah. It truly put a strain on my marriage and the woman who I chose to be with for life. So I want to dig. Let's go. I want to remain respectful. Um, how much of that, how much of that trauma are you comfortable sharing on this platform or comfortable sharing today? Um, because I think it's important. You said something very key was that you were 
you were burying it so far and telling yourself that this wasn't part of your story so that you could present this other person. That's what mm -hmm. I got from what you were saying. That I, this is not me. I'm, I'm bigger than this. These things, I'm suppressing them, but they're still impacting you. And you had some things in common with your wife in terms of the types of trauma. And I can imagine, I can only imagine what kind of pressure that puts on you as the father, the male lead of the house to present yourself in a certain way that you're confident that you have everything together, that you are, um, suitable to follow as a leader. Like that's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And as you started to unpack that, you said, you know, there was still some things that were still in that, that, that other, other corner, like how, what and I'm asking, what, what are you willing to share? Because I know that there's someone listening and there's going to be one of those things that's going to be like, ah, that's me. Mm -hmm. And it may help somebody. So I, number one, are you, are you willing to share a little bit more about that? Um, and if not, you know, I, this is not, I don't want to pressure, but I think there's something there that, that could really help somebody else. Man, the main, the main thing there, there's a lot that I could share there. Yeah. But the main thing would definitely be the father issues, mm. the being misunderstood, yeah. the not being accepted, the being how he's you, you're weird uh, mm. for the for the long, for the longest majority of, of the individuals around me, family and everything else. Um, oh, man, he's different. He going to be gay. Oh, that was the main thing. That yeah. was a big thing. Um, that was another one of the things that contributed. Ultimately, the decision was mine contributed to my disrespect of women mm. my approach with women things of that matter uh, being a promiscuous male yeah and uh, that's the thing like we we always associate the actions with the women but man behoves to oh oh yeah so. man most 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 definitely man so so much that i unconsciously did it in my marriage oh mm. uh, yeah i I, rem I remember picking up the phone picking up the phone one night and calling calling the pastor i say look man I'm thinking about it. I can't figure out why this is happening. I don't want to be this way no more, and I can't figure it out. Yeah. Well, let's go back and dig a little deeper. And it actually happened around the time. I didn't realize it until after I came out of the fog, yeah, as they will call it. Um, I didn't realize it until then the timing of it all. We had a we had a family member over, and he looked at my wife and he said, "Yeah, that boy stayed in the house all the time. So much we thought he was gonna be gay." Didn't know how much that triggered me. Yeah. And I'm on the phone with the pastor the next couple of days. Pastor, man, look, I'm thinking about cheating. I can't figure out why I want to. And not knowing that all I had to do was go and tell my wife, hey, listen, as I was coming through my childhood, I struggled with my family members not being able to understand me. Right. And trying to put these homophobic tendencies on me. Right. And it's not correct. Yeah. It's not correct, but I, I didn't understand it. There was a fear of being judged. I already felt like I wasn't accepted. I already felt like I wasn't understood. So that just added even more pressure on me. Not knowing, all I had to do was open up to my wife because once I finally did open up to my wife, guess what my wife told me? Yeah. They called me weird too. So I think there, there's an interesting part there where even if there is not trauma, there's this expectation created for men 
that associates sex with manhood, right? In the, in the over, we're over-sexualized. We identify success with sex, the ability to get somebody to, to say yes, the ability to conquer women. Um, and the more you do, the more it is presented as you being manly, right? And I think it's to a point where unconsciously or sometimes consciously, there's this, there's this need that doesn't go away that you have to, you have to, you have to go conquer something to feel like you're a man, feel like you're accepted, to feel like there's no question, like nobody can question um, who you are, what your sexuality preferences and all of that. And I don't know why it is, but it really puts the fear of God in my heart when it comes to my sons, mm -hmm. right? Because I still need to detach from that thinking. Not that I promote it, but in casual conversation, if somebody said, yeah, man, I got that. What is my reaction? Oh, mm -hmm. that's normal. That's natural. It's been normalized for so long that even if you're not still actively out there pursuing passively, are we still contributing to that ideal, to that construct that this is a part of demonstrating that, that you are a man, that you leave no questions about your sexuality or like it's associated with some level of confidence of just being able to kind of, kind of go out and conquer women. Well, um, I know you've heard the saying adversity introduces a man to himself. True. So, what actually helped me, and I'm still going through the motions, sure. but what really just was ripping the Band-Aid off from that way of thinking was when I heard a man relay, relate to my wife in that way. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about absolutely losing my mind, ready to just go crazy. Oh, yeah, I had that. What? Oh, it created, it created that, that what? Yeah. It really made me sit down and think about it. Man, how many times have I did this to somebody's wife? How many times have I did this to somebody's daughter? Daughter, yeah. How many times have I did this, you know what I mean? Somebody's mother. Like, mm. think, things of this matter. And I know it's totally off subject, but there is so many women. I really sat down, um, and this was just this year. This was a few months back, going through my journey. Mm -hmm. Going through my journey of walking into my truth, uh, post-betrayal transformation, mm. right, writing my book, The Truth About Betrayals, The Truth in Betrayals. Like going going through all of that, I really sat back and I really thought, man, that distorted self-image that I was dealing with, mm -hmm. that ability to be a chameleon and be whoever you like at the moment, mm. it harmed so many women. Yeah. There's a few women in particular, there's a few women in particular that man, I apologize for the hurt yeah. and the harm and the 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 blank dreams yeah. and the you know the stole, stolen moments and the lies. Uh, stolen water is always sweet, right? 
you don't have to deal with me every day to know that I'm different every day. Right. That little stolen moment you get with me here and there, it's always going to be feel good because it's something new. It's yeah. something exciting, something spontaneous. It's something great. And I apologize to those women. Yeah. I apologize with those to those women with everything that is in me because the dream that I sold to you yeah. in order to chase a high and to try to fill the voids in me, absolutely wrong. No yeah. excuse for it. No explanation for it. It was wrong. It was wrong in every way. And I, I sincerely apologize for that. Yeah. Every man that I know that has that mindset, I would advise them to take a true, unadulterated look in the mirror. Yeah. And be honest with yourself about what you see, what you're looking at, what you've done. Walk in your truth in every aspect of your life, starting with that one. Yeah. No, I don't think that was uh, I don't think that was off topic at all. Cause that that like I said, this this whole journey for me, which this podcast is, um, kind of parallels to to like your approach to dealing with you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, it's revealing things about me. It's forcing conversations that I didn't want to have with myself, mm-hmm. let alone have uh, with either with myself or a guest on a public platform. But it's pushing me to a place of responsibility that I was able to avoid by not addressing it, if that makes any sense. And that's why being a child is so much fun. Adults want to go back to being children because the, the, the responsibility is not attached to your actions all the time. But this is really like this, this journey is pushing me to a place where um, I need to understand not only things about me that I didn't want to address, but how they're impacting other people. So that next step that you were just talking about where you're apologizing to the people that it impacted, uh, I think that is a key takeaway because if you are truly remorseful, that guilt of causing somebody else pain never goes away. Mm-hmm. And even after you apologize, you know, there's still some degree of, it's more so of, a, of an accountability that it doesn't happen again, but to really get through hurt and trauma, especially that you've caused, you gotta address with those other people. Um, as you're maturing through understanding yourself, what are some of the positive changes that you've seen in your family dynamic? Oh man. Um, there's not as much tension between myself and my wife anymore. Mm. The door is open for it, for anything. Um, I pick up the phone and call her. Hey, hey, sweet pet, I need to talk to you. Okay, yeah, I need to take your white hat off. I need a friend. Okay, right. what you got? And we can have that conversation. No judgment from her. Yeah. No judgment from me. Let's get it out there. There, we created. We've created our own safe space. Gotcha. Within within each other, the way that it was intended for it to be. Right. Hey. You're my everything under the sun. I don't need a best friend. You're my best friend. Right. In every, in every way. I don't, majority of the romantic relationships that I had outside of my marriage began with someone to talk to. That shoulder to cry on. It's gateway. Slipped and fell into romantic situations because yeah. most individuals think because I wasn't physical with someone, it wasn't cheating. Hey, guess what? You're having intimate conversations. 
whether you believe it or not, that's worse than being physical with a person. Yeah. Those things hurt her more than anything because she's like, I was right here the whole time. I was open for you the whole time. Like, the same way you yell at me, right? you can talk to me about what you got going on. I'm here for that. Um, more or less, the opportunity wasn't awarded to her to be what what she was ultimately waiting and learning I mean and yearning to be for me. Yeah. So that that was positive number one, man. It it let off so much tension and being able to show her, hey, this is who I truly am. Yeah. And her saying, guess what? I love this person who you truly are. I accept this person. I understand this person. Yeah. And that's like, you get me? I get you. Yeah. Oh man. This is a whole new level yeah. of love that I'm experiencing with her based off of that. So that was dynamic number one, um, stability. My kids know what they're getting from me each and every day. I'm not waking up, get dressed, do this, do that. No, it's waking up, hey, baby, I love you this morning. I love you, I love you, I love you. Get up, let's get dressed. My kids are laughing. Yeah. They're they're not they're not reactive. They're they're not walking on eggshells is afraid of how dad's gonna react if I do this, if All I right. do that. There's no there's no tension when we're out in public. I used to I used to have so much anxiety when we would go out with the kids because everything is just moving around me too much because I have to control everything. Hey man, whatever happens, we'll deal with it later. Let's go. Let's enjoy life. So now the family dynamic is something that's light and easy. Yeah. Instead of that heavy burden, every time you look around, I'm enjoying them. I'm loving them. They can enjoy me and love loving me because they know what level that I'm on. Yeah. I have a baseline now. I have a baseline now. The, the first day that I felt normal, I looked at my wife. I said, I think something wrong. She said, what you mean? Something wrong. I said, I don't know. I might be sick or something. Something ain't right. She said, no stress. As you do normal. This is a baseline. Yeah. This is what this feels like. I call my and I say, man, so I think something wrong. Something got to be wrong. She, you know what she told me? It's what it looks like to walk in your truth. Full now, circle. now the new you just have to outlast the old you. The new you has to outlast the old you. It's so easy to revert back to what you were doing before. Yeah. I've also heard that the new you cost you the old you oof i'm still working on that i like that though so i want to i want to i want to loop in um i want to bring back the entrepreneur aspect because i know today you still own businesses and you mentioned um your wife supporting and and being a part of those businesses early on in your relationship what is the if you can articulate the dynamic of being a businessman while living a lie and your ability to be a businessman relieved and walking in your truth. Oh man. So while not being who I truly am, mm. business was prosperous, but it didn't last long. Mm. It didn't last long. You can only fake who you are for so long. True. Before those ugly traits really start to show themselves. Right. And but walking in my truth, 
the individuals that I got in my corner that know what my struggles are. Yeah. That don't mind stepping in to pick up the slack. I don't have to try to be everything and everywhere mm. and everybody's favorite at once. Nah, there's a lot of people that don't like me. But guess what? I'm cool with that. Yeah. I know what I am doing, what what I will accept, right. what I will allow, the boundaries I won't allow to be crossed, the boundaries that I won't cross. Like, I know all of these things now. And the individuals that I have that stand behind me, man, uh, I got my guy Antonio, I got my guy Reg, I got my guy Reese, I got, I got you, I got my guy Adrian. Like, I have some really solid individuals behind me they know my story they know my traumas they know what i struggle with so it's nothing to pick up the phone at two o'clock in the morning hey my guy man i'm thinking about doing the thing all right brother i'll give you about 10 minutes i'll be dressed let's go take a walk or let's go to the gym or let's talk it out yeah hey you grown man you're gonna do what you do anyway but if it was me this is what that is let me help bring you back to reality right that's the difference in being who you think everybody wants you to be and being your absolute truth. Because man, by lying to people about who you are, you take away their decisions on whether they really want to deal with you or not. Mm. That's one of the worst things ever that you could do to a person. Mm. Majority of these people that you are meant and destined to come across, yeah, they don't mind loving you through your flaws. But if you're lying and hiding them, those things from them, you you're not even awarding them the opportunity to. That's 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 really crazy because um, that's a life hack on a lot of levels, uh, relationships, business, uh, family, is taking away that decision for a person to deal with who you truly are mm-hmm. by presenting them somebody that's that's false. You're a wise brother, man. You um, I can see where you are humble enough to understand that you need the lesson and you're confident enough once you've overcome it to know what your weaknesses are to prevent you from going back and then when you get caught in a place where you're not sure you 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 have the um the sense to keep people around you that can help you weigh the decision, right? Because no man wants another man to tell him what to do most of the time. But if you got people that can help you arrive at a decision that makes the best sense for you and your family, I think that's that's really key. So um, two of my mentors, two of my mentors, it's, it's all gonna connect here mm-hmm. at some point, but you'll get, you'll get where I'm going here. My guy Antonio, my guy Antonio told me he said, he said, hey, man, uh, way back in the day, people didn't want to be the hero in their story. Hey, here's my problem. Fix it. Get it done. I don't want to have to deal with it again. Mm. Evolution of time. Everyone wants to be the hero in their story now. Mm. I don't need you to do it for me. Tell me and show me how to do it so that I can be the hero in my story and not you. Mm. Right? So... You got that, you got that bit of that nugget, that golden nugget that Antonio's dropping. But then you got my mentor, Parrish Lar. He was my pastor for a good while there. He used to always say to me, hey man, in business, in your spiritual life, in your love life, 
and being out here in the world, there's going to come a time where you're going to need something. You're going to already have to have it in you. You're going to come up against something that's going to challenge your spirituality. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to already have that word inside of you. Yeah. There's going to come a time in business where you're going to be questioned on what your knowledge is. You're going to have time to research. It's got to already be in you. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to protect yourself or someone else. You're not going to have time to reach for a weapon. You're going to have to already have, have it inside of you. Yeah. Those two things going, connecting with each other. Hey, I want to be my hero. How do I be my hero? Got to have it inside of you. That is the way that I walk with life every day. It's got to be inside of me. Do the work. Do the work. No shortcuts. Now that's a good. That's a, that's a great point. That's one thing that um, I try to try to instill in my kids is that the danger of what you put inside of you. Mm. Because when you need something, the only thing that's going to come out is what you've already put inside of you. So you hadn't put the right things in you. Um, and I know it's, it's not suggesting that I always looked at, listened to, or put myself around all the right things, but it's something to be really aware of is that you can only pull out what you've put inside of you. So when those situations like those, those 2 a.m. situations, right? If you didn't have that insight um, or the foresight to have that group, that village around you that you can rely on, like all of those things that test you, and it's the little things, right? That 2 a.m. could lead to disaster for a family, right? And then mm -hmm. think of what that does to the generations and the generations. Just like, you know, it, it, it's always a story of um, my granddad is not who you said he was, right? But mm -hmm. he was that person at one time. Mm -hmm. The key is to take the lessons of who he was instead of having to go through the experiences that he did, right? Where you can avoid them through having conversations, right? And that's the point of this podcast is to connect those life lessons, those conversations that men should be having with their sons, whether that's grandfather to father, father to son, son to father, that for whatever reason, maybe it's pride, maybe it's absence of the ability to have those conversations, but there's always this extended period of time that it takes for us to get to a point where we have the conversation after we had the experience. I'm a believer that sometimes personal experience is not the best teacher. Somebody else's experience mm -hmm. can be the best teacher and save you a lot of um, a lot of pain and and just unnecessary challenges in life in general. Very important thing that I want to touch on before we before we wrap up um, is who you are as a dad. But we're going to take a short break here from a sponsor. We're going to come back and talk about what your kids think about you. We'll be right back. What's good, fam? I hope you guys are enjoying this episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Look, a couple of folks have reached out asking how can they support more? They listen, they like the videos, but they said, hey, we want something tangible. I said, cool, 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 cool. Now we got merch. The Dear Son Podcast tees are loaded to the website. TheDearSonPodcast.com. In your upper left-hand corner, you'll see a drop-down option that says there's more. That's where you'll find the t-shirts. 
So if you feel so impressed, shop with your man, help support this podcast and push it around the world because it's going there. Appreciate you guys. Now back to the show. All right. Let's hop back into it, man. We're going to talk about who you are as a father today. What all of this story has led to all of this healing, all of this self-awareness. How does it play out in your fatherhood story at this point? What would your kids say about you? If we would ask them what kind of father you are, what would they say? Man, it depends. It depends on, <laughs> well, with my son, man, with my son, it depends on if I didn't took him to Target today. <laughs> a boy after my own heart. I love uh, Target. You know what? But with but with my daughter, each and every, she is the meanest little girl that you could ever imagine to, mo- to most people. Look, she, sweet, look, sweet as can be uh, to me. Yeah. To daddy, she's never mean to daddy. Mm. Everything is daddy this, daddy that. Oh, I just love my daddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she woke up in the bed with her mom this morning, and she told her, she said, "Hmm, what are you doing in here? My daddy's not in here." Mm. Yeah, it's daddy's girl to the core. Daddy's girl to the core. Um, my daughter, she's four. Okay, she knows daddy by his truth. Hmm. By she knows daddy by his truth. The way the love that I give her when she wakes up in the morning. Yeah, um, I remember. I'd be out working and my wife would send me a picture. She's got her little blanket. She's got her iPad and she's sleeping by the door. Waiting. Oh, she's waiting. And my aunt, when I told you, uh, Deneen, um, she was one of those, one of those instruments that was needed to help me transition who I was as a father to my daughter. Hmm. Walking in your truth, not walking in your truth is distorted self image. All I can see is the daughter paying for the sins of the father. That's heavy. How did you, how did you receive that? Like, cause that to like, that's a, that is a, um, it's very necessary, but for somebody to tell me that my daughter is paying for my sins, that's a very heavy, not even an accusation. That's a very heavy truth. The process. How did how did that impact you? Was it an immediate adjustment, or did you have to kind of process that? Because that I was angry. Okay, man, what you say to me? Say, I, I felt myself what? getting angry, and it wasn't even me. What what you, what you just said about my daughter? Right. It wasn't until I sat down to share that truth with my wife, mm. my 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 place, my you know my my other little person on my shoulder. That's my wife. Yeah, yeah, man, sweet man. She told me, man, my, my daughter gonna pay for my sins if I don't get myself together. And my wife looked at me. She said, "She right." I say what now? Yeah, she right. I say, explain it to me. Like, like, like you, you know how my mind works. So explain this to me. Yeah. And she broke it down. And she say, "Your daughter's gonna meet a man like you. Oh, <laughs> he's gonna tell her the same lies in the same ways that you tell women." She's going she's gonna to fall for it, and then she's going to call you crying when he don't own up to what he said he oh, was. Man, that hurts. He's going to be missing in some of her most important times in life. That hurts. He's going to have every excuse in the book, and she's going to forgive him every time. That and hurts. She's going to lose a little more of herself, more and more each time, to this man to try to feel himself, and it's never going to be enough, and she's going to be hurt and broken in the end. And she's going to call you. 
and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. And I rocked my daughter to sleep that night, and I looked at her. I had a beard at the time, and she was just rubbing my face. And she said, I love you, Daddy. I'm going to go to sleep now. And went to sleep my arms. I held my daughter for probably about an hour that night before I actually put her in bed. And that's when it just hit me. Mm. Man, am I the man that I want my daughter to experience one day? In every walk of life, in business, in family life, the way I love her mom, the way I love myself, do I really want my daughter with a man that loves himself the way I love myself right now? Mm-mm. Man, that that oof. I, that literally hurts my stomach listening to it because nobody has called me out like that for one. But man, do you want your daughter? She loved to me meet enough. A man like you. She loved me enough, Eric. Hmm. My aunt loved me enough to tell me the truth, to see me walk in my truth. And it may sting, it may it may hurt for the moment, yeah. but it was necessary in every way. You gotta think about it. For 27 years, I've been being somebody else, not being myself, not being my truth. Some major bombs had to go off to knock these walls down. Yeah. Major bombs. Then I think about it, that's like the ultimate front that a man will hang on to is protecting his daughter. Mm-hmm. Treat any other woman any kind of way. Maybe his mom, depending on their relationship. But you can have so little respect at times for your wife or your partner or even bringing your son into it, suggesting that, you know, you can't tell your mom this. Yeah, you know, just between us, son, we gotta like displaying it proudly in front of your son. But the last front, the final frontier is a man protecting his daughter. Mm-hmm. So to have to come to grips with the fact that you're not a suitable father for your daughter and you need to change, that's a lot. My daughter's more of me than my son is. Yeah. Uh, and I'm my son is more like his mom. He's he's chill, he's laid back. I deal with people when I deal with people. It's cool. My daughter, on the other hand, people's person. She's curious about everything. She's bright. She's fearless. She yeah. here I am. You feel me walk in the room. I'm Alani. Yeah. Hi. So when I look back at that, what I see now is me. Everything that I wanted coming up, that acceptance, that honesty, the 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 real. Oh, I give that to her at the age of four. Hey, baby girl, we're gonna do this. Let's do this. So much to the to the tone of, um, she told her mom, she said, uh, "Mommy, uh, I saw this dream house Barbie closet, and I think I really want it." Um, my, my wife say, we don't have no money for that right now. She said, yes, you do. Just get my daddy's red card and we're going to go. That's how it works. Because when we go to the store, yeah, she knows daddy gives me the red card. I swipe it. I 
put the numbers in, and there we go. Yeah. This is all at the age of four. This is so, I'm nurturing in her what I wish had been nurtured in me. Yeah. Is it any different with your son or do you have to catch yourself with your son because of your experience to make sure that he gets the love and the the uh, the acknowledgement and the reassurance that you were looking for? Uh, mo- most most definitely. Um, my son, I had to start balancing it at first. Mm-hmm. So my son is seven and my daughter's four. So for the first, you know, two, uh, two, two and a half, almost three years, it was just me and him. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to balance the time out between the two. It was just me and my boy. Yeah. Um, so now, now coming into it with the different things that he's experiencing, hey, kids call me names at school. It makes me angry. It made me want to fight. I have to have those conversations with him so that he can be different from me. Because when kids call me names at school, we were right. We we from the thump. Right. I might not win, but guess what? You'll see me again tomorrow. Right. The hands we, gonna fly. I, and we're gonna keep going every day. Every day. Because that's how my dad taught me. Mm. But now the conversation that I'm having with my son is is, hey man, they calling you names is a reflection of themselves. They ain't got nothing to do with your character. That's them. Yeah. They calling you names because they different. People will always judge what they can't do or what they can't understand. True. So this this is what that is. You live a different lifestyle from majority of the kids that you go to school with. Yeah. You you and you and a few other children this is true. live majorly different lifestyle than I'm gonna say probably seventy percent of the children that you go to school with. Right. So you have to understand your place in the things that you are awarded, the things that you that you have, and then having to break it down to his seven-year-old mindset. Yeah. Hey, buddy, you know how you t- come and tell daddy that you want that new Baki Gong and we just go get it? Yeah, well, Dylan's dad can't do that. So Dylan expresses that by calling you names and wanting mm-hmm. to pick on. I have to break it down that way. Hey, um, you you have this back you have this backpack that comes to school that has all of your folders and your pencils and your colors and your new books and all of these things at school. Dylan doesn't have these things, so it's a problem. Dylan's dad is not there to pack his backpack or pack his lunch every day, mm-hmm. so he has to eat the school lunch and and he sees you with yours and it makes him angry, so now he wants to call you names. So when you have to break it down to him that way, I wish my dad had broken down to me yeah. that way because. I ain't understand. I'm just out here fighting. Right. I'm just out here, you know, doing whatever I feel. I was not able to control my emotions because I was not taught to. And as you know, a man, a man who does not control or who does not learn to control his emotions is a man who can't evolve. I don't want that for my boy. So we're learning at an early age what it's like Mm. to control these emotions. Is there anything that strikes fear in your heart, makes you nervous about the fatherhood journey going forward? Um, explaining to my children that it's okay to be different. Um, mm. My son is very different from most students um, okay. just because of some of his learning disabilities, sure. um, some his, his, his speech impediment, things of that matter. Yeah. So... When he tells me things like, oh, the kids called me names or the teacher calls me names and it makes me very sad. Oh, man. 
that tear my heart apart. Yeah. Because it's like, man, I felt that pain. I know what that pain feels like to be different and to have them call you names and you just want to fit in and you just want to be friendly and have him experience that and me not be able to make him whole mm. by explaining it to him. My lack of knowledge on how to how to communicate this to you to a way that you can understand these are the reasons why I invest in cognitive therapy. I invest in in the different books and softwares to learn how the seven year old mind works. Yeah. To you know, to to learn how to effectively communicate with your children about bullying and all of the different things that the ways that they have to reach you in these days. When I was coming up, there was no cyberbullying. We still had the AOL where you had the thing loading across yeah. the thing and and it wasn't this thing now. Now if something happens at school, guess what? They kids like it spread to over a million people yeah. in three five three to five seconds. Yep. I fear for my kids with that. Yep. I fear for my son with that. I fear fear for my daughter. These little these little guys, they don't have individuals like you and I that, that are conversing with them to get them out of that mindset of the thrill of the new kill. Yeah. Instead, you know what they got? No, man, let me show you. You got to talk to her this way. Yep. You got to talk to her that way. You got to do this. They're reading books. They're, they're, re they're, they're taking it down to a science yeah. to over-sexual, over-sexualize these young women to, True to hey, the, the game, the pickup, the pickup artist, Neil Strauss. He wrote a whole book about how to attack a woman's mind with all of these templates just to get at her. Yeah. Just to get at her. Man, it's yeah. it's it is. Those are my fears. So you want to know what I had to do to combat it? Talk to me. Had to buy the book. Got to be aware. I got to read the book. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I get that. I now okay. Now I need to get to know it because yeah. guess what? Now I got to educate my daughter firsthand. Baby girl, look at this. What they read? They going through the motions. So now when you come with your game, yeah, she hmm, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Now you are. A case study for for her for her to be able to educate more women about this. Yeah. I'm I'm not to a place. My worst fear is that I allow y'all to be common. I get that. I, I definitely get that because, and I struggled with it for a while. But but I want my kids to have experiences that that don't parallel with the norm, right? Mm -hmm. So when somebody attempts to impress them. It's tough. Mm -hmm. they, they really can't, right? Especially with my daughters. Um, you know, living abroad was an experience for them. So if somebody wanted to take them to Dubai, they they, well, they would tell them where to go in Dubai. They lived there. They saw these experiences. If somebody wanted to flash a car, they, they like they saw all of that. And I hope that I did a decent job of putting it in the context that these are just things. Mm -hmm. These things are normal in this environment. So you don't get tricked when we go into another environment where the rest of the you know people in that environment see this as you know as a, as a stunt or a, as a symbol of success. Got to be able to have a context to process what things mean, whether it's wealth, whether it's you know fancy cars or, or experiences, things like that. So I definitely, I definitely get that. I share that same struggle. My I, I have an eighteen year old daughter. 
I have a daughter that just turned 16. I have an eight-year-old daughter. Um, every day I'm more nervous about one of them for one reason or another, mm-hmm. right? My 18-year-old because she's an adult. Like I, I need her to experience life, but I still want to shield her. My 16-year-old, super small. All the kids are super smart, but my 16-year-old has figured out school, right? Like she's made it important to her. And I don't want anybody to take her off of her path for romance or, you know, just for, for some urges. Then my eight-year-old daughter, she's on iPad all day. Infinite access to a lot of things and and I get it. You can control the time that they're on iPad. You can control some sites, but you can't protect them from everything. And striking that balance paralyzes me sometimes. Um, But, you know, I know that where I am in life now, I am giving the best of me to them. Uh, And I know that God has a plan for them. And I just got to, you know, I got to defer to his will on some things, but it is. Parenting is tough enough. Adulting is tough. Parenting is tough. Parenting girls in this era is tough. Parenting girls when you were the, um, when you were the one pursuing it one time and, <laughs> and you know what things to say and you know how it goes and you were the good kid that everybody's mom wanted you to bring home, but you, mm-hmm. you know, you had the alternative. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, man. I say all that to say I feel you. I get it. I think I know that you're on the right path just based on the daily awareness that you have of who you are and what you're presenting to other people. I applaud it. Um, I hope that comes across in this conversation as people are ingesting it, whether it's audio or video. I think your story is important. I think the work that you're doing, extremely important. You mentioned me being part of your team. You're part of my team because I, I, I get to I get to refresh the perspective of me 10 years ago, right? And I don't want to lose sight of that because I can help somebody if I, if I maintain a connection with what that struggle was, right? Not that I go back to that place, but I can't get over it and not help somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. That's the point of this podcast. That was a lot that we still need to get to. Um, hoping you'll come back for future episodes. Uh, there's, a, there's just a ton of things and it's never enough time with any guests. But I certainly appreciate your transparency, vulnerability, your candor. Um, for the, the time that I've known you, I'm proud of you. Uh, I appreciate you as a, as a man, as, as a black man that. specifically offering, contributing, positively to the space. Um, yes, it's so, it's really so much more I want to get into, but part two coming soon, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Part two part, definitely coming part, soon. Any, part. any parting words you want to plug your, um, your social media. I do want you to, 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 to 
frame out the uh, what is it? The post 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 betrayal transformation, man. Post betrayal transformation. I'm gonna get it right one day. How did what did that thirty second summary of of how you arrived at that? Uh, man, had a had a disagreement with my wife. Uh-huh. Felt like she betrayed me. Yeah, made me really look in the mirror at what it indicated. Look past the actions of what she did. Right. To look inside to see what it triggered inside of me. Mm. Went to therapy. Got some true cognitive help. Post betrayal transformation allowed me to get whole within myself mm. without judging someone else for their actions. It's brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Let the people know where they can find you. Um, you're definitely coming back, but but tell the people, tell the people for now where they can find you uh, until you're back on the show or until I'm promoting and, and bragging about some other things that you're doing <laughs> once you get started. Let them know. You guys can find me on Facebook, Anvalon Elliott. We'll have it up there for you. You can find me on Instagram at I am Anvalon as well as Twitter is I am Anvilon. Also be on the look lookout for my book that is coming out, mm. Truth in Betrayals, walking you through stories on how to acknowledge what has been indicated that is broken inside of you, past the actions of other individuals and their characteristics in order to allow yourself to get whole again. Mm. Definitely when that book drops, you'll find them here. I'll definitely get some copies that we can uh, maybe gift to some folks that are part of the audience. We'll figure something out, but I'll definitely be subscribing to um, your teachings because I know that there's some teachings coming out <laughs> from it, but the book for sure. Uh, as always, I got to address my, my audience right quick. If you're listening on the audio platforms, please make sure you're following. You guys know the drill. It is important. It helps. Uh, I have a big, big goal for 2022 that this podcast is going to be top 10 in the U.S. It is ranking in some other countries. Uh, but I believe that the message is important and it's pure enough. And I believe God for it. And with your support, we're going to make it happen. If you're watching this on YouTube, hey, what's good, family? Uh, and joining the, the, the video experience, please make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure that you like the video. Make sure that you share it with somebody and get busy in the comments. The comments, I meet you there. Right. I, I'm definitely responsive and I actually learn from other people's perspectives. This is not a a, a one way transfer of information. This is a dialogue in, in hopes of building a community around building better fathers. I believe better men, better fathers. Right. So we got to do the work. Um, I think the time is 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 well spent. Oh, one last thing. I got to start plugging my stuff more. Uh, we got merch. Merch is on the uh, website now. The Dear Son Podcast. The link is below. The link is below. The link is talk to The them. link is below. <laughs> yeah. You got to have some of this gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one, um, this is the latest release. I Hear to Help. That is the campaign right now. I Hear to Help. Of course, the, uh, the Dear Son uh, logo shirts are there now as well, but... Uh, I'd appreciate your support. Some people have reached out asking how they can do more. Uh, and I'm always, I'm still working on the ask, allowing people to allowing people to help, mm-hmm. <laughs> as, we, as we talked about. But uh, yeah, if, if you feel so inclined, please, please, please uh, visit the website. Let me know what you're thinking. Make a couple purchases. It will help to expand this platform around the globe because that's where it's headed. Uh, that is it. Uh, I appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace.
podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.